0: We worship the Lord through music, through praying to Him and being honest, and and through giving. But uh, before we do that, I just want to say, uh, all, all of the, uh, the the band will be next Sunday night at the high school, Franklin County High School, next Sunday night at six o'clock in the, uh, I guess it's the auditorium, Miss Angela. Um, so. It's going to be an FCA, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes rally at 6, and we're hoping to get as many students as possible to come. You say, now Jeff, it's been a long time since I've been in high school. Guess what? That's okay! Because the people singing is going to be from y'all's church. So, here's what we need to do. We need to pray. Uh, If you haven't yet, pray that as many students as possible will come next Sunday night. They will hear the Gospel spoken we will give the gospel testimony in between the songs and also for some of you that may be a little bit, I'm not sure about this new type of music. Y'all, y'all gonna get, y'all gonna get un because I know people and I know a really good banjo picker and his name Tony Smith. We're gonna do, we're gonna, this is crazy. I don't know. This is weird. They're gonna think we're weird, weird, weird. We're gonna start off a high school rally We're straight up bluegrass. I I don't know. We're just, we're just crazy like that. So, so what we're gonna do, man, whatever your style of music is, if you're a member here, you don't have to be a member. Man, come, it's gonna be awesome. We got like, I think 10 songs or something like that. So we're hoping to see students saved. And also, if you're a bluegrass fan, you can totally get your, I don't know, is it flat footing? Okay, I was going to say drop it like it's hot, but that, that's not even the same category. Don't need to do that. Whatever your groove or your jig is, you can come and, and get it on next Sunday nights. Also, um, something, and I, I showed one of these about a month ago, this, this trophy here, and that was because of my lack of being a good researcher. I was standing in the hall with Fred Tudor, and he pointed out, Jeff, Rocky Mountain, he didn't say this. But I showed you a fifth place trophy that Rocky Mount Baptist Church softball team got back in the eighties. I did not realize that next to it was a seventh place trophy from 1985. Let's give it up, right? (laughs) Seventh place, baby. 1985. That was a few years before the mullet, but the big hair was definitely in. So here's the thing. This may be prophetic, y'all. I don't even know. Guess how many teams are in this league? Seven. So hey, we don't want this to be prophetic, but but if you uh don't have anything to do this afternoon, come and and the game, Michael, it's gonna be at the rec field. Okay, is that down in Sontag? Okay, the rec field down in Sontag, two o'clock. Our church softball team, and some of y'all are like, why are y'all playing on a, on a Sunday? This ain't a church league. And like, Can we do that? <laughs> yeah. We're using this as a ministry, the team, inviting guys who don't have a church. Hopefully we'll see some guys get saved through this, but also to be out in the community. Y'all know where this is headed. What happens to most churches? They get started, they get established, and then just like a nasty ingrown toenail, they turn inward and it's all about us and our needs. What we want to do ever more. Rocky Mount Baptist Church, and thank you, Michael, for for leading this team up, is we want to be in the community because you can't be a light in darkness if you're always around other little lights. You see, you'd be in the world, but not of the world. So guys, heart to heart, what that means... Is that when we get into the competitive part of the game, which hopefully will be the whole, I hope we don't get blown out in the first, first inning, right? That means I'll keep y'all accountable and y'all keep me accountable. Cause I don't think it will be representing very much light if Rocky Mount Baptist gets into a brawl with another team. <laughs> because looking at some of you hosses, the other team wouldn't be able to work for six months. So we just gotta control it and channel it for the glory of Jesus. Now, two more things and we'll get to the text. This past Wednesday night, I want to brag on Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Y'all packed that fellowship hall out like it was going out of style. Some of you am are like, what happened? What happened? Was there a business meeting? No, it was good. A representative from Voice of the Martyrs, they work with the persecuted church in, in areas of the world where it's illegal to be a follower of Jesus or it's illegal but the general population still persecutes people anyway. Had a man come? Thank you, Lee and Becky Flora. For let's give it up for them. I don't embarrass them. They, they I didn't know. I didn't know he was coming in the area. They said, "Hey, he's coming. He works with Voice of the Martyrs." I was like, "Get out of town!" So he came and he gave a, a magnificent presentation. We looked at some videos that would move your heart, and I, I'm not sure exactly the amount that was raised. It was well over 500, I believe. For I mean, just on the, just on the, like random Wednesday night, a lot of you guys got the materials and the books. Let's continue to pray for the persecuted. But something I never caught until this past Wednesday was don't just pray for them, but pray for the ones who persecute them. Go with me on this. The ones who are in the prisons persecuting these Christians, torturing people. Not a movie. Real torture. Real blood, sweat, and tears. The ones who are torturing most likely are not going to be in church that Sunday. They're lost, depraved, cruel men. And I never caught it that often... Unless something really changes, the only person to share the gospel with them will be the one that they're persecuting. Would you all pray with me? I mean, not, not right now, but well, like, as we continue to live in these next weeks and months and years, year, let's pray for the persecuted, but also for the ones that are trying to get them to turn away from Christ. Powerful, powerful presentation. And then tonight, 4.30, guys... What I hope that a lot of us can do, we can go, we can take some names, we can win some games at 2 o'clock. And then at 4.20, we're going to be leaving from the parking lot to go to Lynchburg, Thomas Road Baptist Church, their night of worship. I I strongly urge you to come. It's going to be absolutely awesome. They're going to have uh, musicians and bands, all sorts of amazing stuff. It's going to be a great time so we can get together and worship the Lord through music. If you haven't been before, I watched it last year online, and I was blown away. Why don't you make time to come? If you can't drive at night, we're, we're going to carpool and take care of that. Now this is our second week in our Problem of Evil series. Last week, we looked at kind of a, a groundwork message, and in case you missed that, the notes and the message are online. But here's what we basically covered. Often in life, we can blame God for our mistakes. We can make dumb financial mistakes. Can I get a witness? Do things we say, we buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. You guys heard it so often, it sounds cliche. And then we get stressed, then it causes relational conflict in our marriage, in our friendships, in our work. And then we blame God for our self-inflicted suffering. We also looked at an aspect that's never talked about in church. And is the aspect of gluttony. Refusing to take care of the temple, the body that God has given us. And what happens is often, even in church, we abuse our bodies, we don't exercise, we eat trash 24-7, and then when we're in the hospital unnecessarily... We look up at God and we say, God, how could you let this happen? We looked at a, a statistic last week that 80% of all uh, surgeries are preventable and 90% in the U.S. of all medical issues that are treated are preventable if we would simply just take care of ourselves. We looked at all sorts of ways that it's kind of like we say, well, God, I want freedom to be able to, to live my life uh, for you or, or for not. And it's like God says, okay, well, here's, here's the way. Now, Old Testament, walkie in it, we're like, okay, I'm gonna go this way. So it's like God gives us this bag of seeds that's our life, and we begin to sow these seeds in stupid ways, and then we turn around to God and say, God, how could you let this happen? Y'all alright? And before we approach the question of suffering and evil, we all need to take a back step and say, Are the things that I'm blaming God for things that He warned me well in advance through my conscience, through friends, family, and through His Word that I disobeyed? And now I'm in my own mess because of my own disobedience. You see now, Jeff, it almost sounds like you're saying that all suffering is because personal sin. Absolutely not. Last week was just a caution light to say back up Look at God's Word. Think in the past when He has warned you. If you have listened to Him, and if you're experiencing what you brought on yourself, there is something called grace. Amen? To receive the grace of God in your life and to open your heart to Him as opposed to clenching your fist in the face of God for mistakes that we made even when we knew that we shouldn't. So that brings us to today. And we're going to... Look at a message called "The Logical Problem of Evil." If you have your Bibles, go with me to Ecclesiastes chapter twelve, and we will begin in verse uh, chapter twelve, begin in verse nine, and go all the way through verse fourteen. So, I'll give you some time to turn there in your Bibles. But I want to introduce this this message this morning with the question: Does the existence of evil mean that God does not exist? Let me say that one more time. Does the existence of evil mean that God does not exist? There are some people who will tell you that you cannot believe in a good God, an all-powerful God, and at the same time, believe that there's evil in the world. Now, there's this is in your notes. And if by the way, if you have a smartphone, you can go ahead and log on the church website right now. Access that. We've got like five or six pages of notes if you want to follow the long version and send that to a skeptic. You say, Jeff, why does sometimes it seems like you're OCD publishing like manuscripts of your sermons almost online? Everybody check, check right here. We put content on the website to reach people with the gospel. So that when you have that, con- that conversation with that person who doesn't believe... We're hopefully going to address relevant stuff here. I'm like, dude, we just studied that in church last week. That's why we footnote stuff in the notes. Now, some of you guys, you're like, you're already gone. You're like, dude, I don't care. But some of you nerds track with me on this. When you're trying to share the Gospel with your skeptic, atheist, agnostic friend, and you send them what your pastor says, that's basically saying, duh. That says nothing. Nothing. But if you can send them something that is organized and logical, and it is supported by academic stuff, they'll be like, "Okay, he's talking about the guy who 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 taught at Notre Dame, or okay, I can track with that. I believe that because you're using evidence. So that's the reason why we kind of sometimes you guys look in a line like, what in the world? Why would you put so much detail? Because we love people. People have questions, we love them enough to try, through the grace of God, to answer their questions. So there are basically two uh, problems of evil. Number one is the emotional problem of evil. That's what we will begin next week. Not today. The emotional problem of evil is the pain that we experience when someone that we love dies, for example. On the other hand, there's something called the logical problem of evil. And the logical problem of evil is trying to give a rational explanation for the coexistence of God and evil. So basically, here is the claim that the atheists are throwing at us believers. They would say, The existence of God, or the existence of evil rather, means that God is either not all powerful, not all knowing, or not all good. And if God is not all of those things, then He's not really God. Let me give you a statement by an atheist, J.L. Mackey. He said, in its simplest form, the problem is this. God is omnipotent, God is wholly good, and yet evil exists. There seems to be some contradiction between these three propositions so that if any two of them were true, the third would be false. But at the same time, all three are essential parts of most theological positions. And he's right. The theologian, it seems, us, must believe or adhere to all at once or cannot consistently adhere to all three. In other words... He's saying that there's no way you can believe that God is all-powerful, all-good, all-knowing, and still believe that evil is in the world. Back in 1981, there is a rabbi named Harold Kushner who wrote a book that some of you probably have heard. The book title is When Bad Things Happen to Good People. How many of you have heard of the book or of the phrase? Let me see your hand. Wow! Most of us here this morning... And here was Rabbi Harold Kushner's conclusion to the question. He concluded that God desires to stop evil, but is not able to. So in other words, according to Him, we serve a God who is up in heaven stressing out, wanting to stop evil, but He just can't pull it off. So in other words... God is not, according to Him, all powerful. So here's a few questions that we're going to have to ask in order to answer this question. Crucial questions in the problem, the logical problem of evil. Let's ask this question again. Who determines the purpose of life? The character of the attributes of the Creator of life, He's the one who establishes the point of life. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 beginning in verse 9. And the Bible says, this is this is Solomon, being wise, the preacher, that, that, that's Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Here we go. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads... And like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness to the flesh, of the flesh. Students, can I get an amen on that? Former students, still recovering psychologically. Verse 13. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So in other words, we have to answer this question. What is the point of life? Now, the Bible here says that it comes, the point of life comes from the one shepherd. This is obviously speaking of Jesus. The one who designs life, their character or their attributes determines what the point of that will be. Another point in verse 12 would be that education without God ends in a hopelessness and depression. Notice he's saying here, he says it's no end, it's wearisome to the flesh. And by the way, if you were to back up in the book of Ecclesiastes, you would find the phrase, Vanity of vanities, emptiness, all is meaningless, time and time and time again. Because go with me on this, those of you who love to read, you, you you thirst after knowledge when you see a book. It's just like I mean, like I love you. I haven't read you, but I love you. You're a nerd, alright? Some of you are like, it's him, it's her, all right. You you, you just you 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 thirst after knowledge. Notice And we don't have time this morning, but if you just did a little survey of the most famous philosophers who have ever lived, all of the ones who were not believers were people that, I don't know if a pastor should say this, but people you did not want to party with. They were people who were manically, manically depressed. The life that they lived was often short and sad. Because when you study and when you read, if God is not there, then all that education does is it allows you to see the hollowness of life. It allows you to quicker and more effectively see that this thing is a sick joke. It's pointless It doesn't matter. Let me give you a statement by Francis Bacon, the great philosopher. He said this, a little philosophy leads men to atheism, but much philosophy leads men to God. So, you say, Jeff, what is the purpose of life? Well, we've got two options. One, people today say the purpose of life is to be happy, The Bible tells us right here that the purpose of life is to, verse 13, fear God and keep His commandments. In other words, it's not happiness, it's holiness. The point of life is not for you to try to feel good. The point of life is for you to come to know God. Let me give you several statements relating to happiness and suffering. This is from William Lane Craig. He says, there are certain instances of suffering that are utterly impossible to produce happiness, but they're not useless in producing the knowledge of God. If you think that the point of life is happy happiness, you will see no reason in much of human suffering. But if the point is to get to know God, as we'll study next week, suffering is a clarion call. It is God's megaphone to get our attention. So in other words, if you're if you're a skeptic here today, or or for those who listen online, and you're like, "God can't be real because there's so much suffering," you cannot argue against the existence of God because more because so many people are unhappy because happiness is not the point of life. Are we all tracking together this morning? Two different thoughts. The world says it is. The Bible says that it's the knowledge of God. Here's what Gary Habermas says about wrong thinking about the point of life. He says, and I quote, The primary reason we feel so much emotional pain when these things occur is because our beliefs about what happened to us. Correct beliefs promote life, help, and peace. Incorrect, often called irrational beliefs, eventually cause great pain and suffering. You say, now Jeff, you're telling me that the correct belief to help me understand suffering, evil, God's existence, kind of like a triangle, is for me to believe that the point of life is holiness and the knowledge of God? Yes. Because here's the thing. Even if you don't believe that, pagan philosophers and lost people have realized that you can never truly be happy. Go with me. If you get a good job, if you get a very good looking husband or wife, if you have great kids, they all do well. There is no guarantee that all of that cannot be stripped away by a drunk driver, by cancer, by job loss, by something freakish happening at the very end of your life, like Priam of Troy. Those of you who have seen the movie Priam of Troy had everything a man could ever want. And he lives just long enough to see everything that had always made him happy torn away by the circumstances of life unbelievers understand this even if you don't believe the bible you cannot ever say that you're truly happy until somebody says it to you after you're dead if you didn't experience cataclysmic suffering because you don't have a guarantee that what quote makes you happy will still be in your life the point of life according to the bible is to fear god and keep His commandments. The Westminster Confession, a great Christian statement several centuries ago said that the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That means that you the point of your life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him for who He is and also what He has given you. You see, Jeff, what about what the atheist said a few minutes ago? I'm still hung up on that. He said that we can't hold to God's all power uh, all-knowing, all-good, and they're still evil. Let me give you five things that the atheist must prove in order for there to be a logical problem from evil at all. Number one, the atheist must prove... Now, once again, we're not talking about give a probability case. We're talking about prove absolutely. Prove that God and evil are incompatible. Avin Plantinga, a great Christian philosopher, said... The atheist must first show why God and evil are incompatible. Do you ever notice when atheists tell you things or when you read stuff, you know, see it on TV, they say it's illogical to believe in God given the existence of evil. Do you notice that very rarely does anybody ask that question that two-year-olds are really good at? or do they talk it to 3 whatever whatever it is you know little kids why 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 but just to ask the question why are why is god incompatible with the existence of evil in other words what you must prove if you're an atheist is you must absolutely prove this is key that god could not bring about a greater good by allowing the existence of evil than if he had a world in which there was no evil allowed. As an atheist, what you must do is you must prove that there is no exception to the rule, that there's never a way that God could bring good from evil. And you see, it almost gets for, for an atheist uh, if you hear it listening online, you're very rational because what you do is you talk about terms of evil. Well, evil is this, evil is this, Well, what is evil? Simply put, evil is a failure to do what is right. Well, if there is no God, then there's nobody to really tell us what's wrong or right. It's just up to you and your culture and your group and your nation. And also, with understanding this, as Christians, we believe that mankind is in a state of rebellion against God. Amen, church? And just newsflash, if you call yourself a Christian here today and you say, I believe that people are basically good, man, man re- You may not have any friends, because if you did, you realize they're not perfect. Read your Bible and look around. You realize that the Christian who knows their Bible, they're not totally surprised at things like what happened in Boston. Christians are not ultimately surprised, the ones who know their Bible well, in 9-11, at murder, at rape, at all of these things. The only reason why we should be surprised is that more people didn't die. The only reason why we should be surprised is that bombings are not happening now in Roanoke. You see, some of you are like, I don't know, Jeff. The Bible tells us over and over again that the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. In other words, we are living in a world that is absolutely and totally corrupt according to God's Word and according to common sense if you just look around. So what the atheist has to prove is that God and evil are incompatible, and you cannot prove that for these reasons. Secondly, the atheist must prove that God can have no reason for allowing suffering. Now, I want us all to put on our brakes and put on our thinking caps for just a moment. Imagine the level of information you would have to have in order to be able to say that God could not work good from this situation the level of knowledge and data that you would have to have in order to say, God has no reason for allowing this evil thing to exist. In other words, what you'd have to have, folks, is you'd have to have absolute and total knowledge and nobody can really have that. You can't have it. Also. Some people ask this question. They say, Jeff, okay, it's kind of like you're alluding to the point that God has a reason for allowing these bad things to exist. Why doesn't God let us know the reason? Well, imagine, and Craig talks about this, imagine if God kind of gave us a little telepathic message every time something bad happened. As far, like, like imagine the soldiers on D-Day and they're getting this telepathic message from God about all the things that would be uh, produced from their sacrifice and so forth. We wouldn't even be able to understand it because it would be dealing with future realities that we don't even know yet. And then second, it'd be really weird. W- wouldn't it? I think half you guys are with me, and the half you're just trying to fake it right now. All right. Seriously, th- think about this. Every time you experience suffering, you get this little 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 note from God, like this little xoxo, you know, like drops out of the sky, or you like bzzz, gives you like this this automatic spot vision, and he's like, the reason why I allowed you to stub your toe is because you needed to work on such and such with your wife, and and to and you're like okay, okay, and, and you'll be so scared to do anything because after a while the ma- Messages would become really bizarre. Then it gets a little bit deeper. Let's say, for example, husband and wife, they they lose their child. Possibly the reason why God allowed something like that was was to, to produce brokenness in their life so that they would have a testimony to other parents who have also lost their child. Can you imagine getting that message in the middle of your grief? If I was a parent, honestly, this may not be the most spiritual thing. Some of y'all maybe get mad, say it's not very pastoral. Like with my brother dying of cancer, people are like, I get Facebook messages, oh, we told this story of your brother to our youth group and somebody got saved. I'm like, whoop-dee-doo. Tell them to read the Bible and get saved in there. I don't want my brother to have to suffer that kind of hell in order for them. I mean, did it take, and I would go, go, go talk to them. Did it take somebody suffering from cancer to get you hard-headed moron to turn from your sin? What kind of a sick freak are you? I mean, you talk, when you, when you think if God gave us that level of knowledge, we would be filled, at least maybe some of y'all. I would not. Fine. Think. We all want to be you. But as far as me, and I think most people, we would be filled with so much hatred and, 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 and distrust and anger towards the people, check this out, that needed our friends and family to suffer in order to turn to God. What that means is that these people were that bad that it took my son, my daughter, my divorce, whatever, to bring them to Repentance. Even a high level of sanctification I don't think would safeguard you from being bitter towards people like that. So the atheist would have to prove that God would have no reason for allowing suffering. That would require total knowledge of everything which we just don't have. Imagine if I told you, I'm a good person. Said, said, alright. I say I often inflict pain on little children. And other adults come to watch. You say, I no longer think you're a good person. In fact... I realize that I have a gun in my car. Wait right here. Citizen's arrest. But if I gave you more details and said, well, I inflict pain upon children because I'm a dentist and the pain that I inflict is in order to bring them a greater good, you would say that makes a little bit more sense. The atheist would also, number three, have to prove a specific instance of suffering that is definitively pointless in other words, you can't, if you're an atheist to prove the logical problem of evil, you can't just throw out a postulate to say, well, this looks really messed up. What you must prove that in every, this, this gets like mind blowing, like Stephen Hawking, my head hurts, like mind blowingly difficult to conceive. If you're an atheist, man, I feel sorry for you, because in order to prove the logical problem of evil, what you have to say is that in every Every possible world, in every relationship, every different variable in relationship, there's no possibility at all, ever, definitively, that God could bring good from this instance of suffering. I will make a note too that if you're an atheist and you're arguing with God in the equation on any level, you're arguing from pointlessness. If God does not exist, let's, let, let's turn the coin over. If God does not exist, then evil does not exist. This, some of y'all are like, hold on now, Pastor Jeff, I think you may be losing good. Think about this. If God does not exist, there is no ultimate right or wrong. Right? It's simply what people and cultures want it to be which that's what we hear often by people like my age and and even older today. Well, that's good if that's your truth, but my truth is this. If God does not exist, then there is no ultimate wrong or right. So atheists, why are you trying to disprove the existence of God through evil? Here's an argument. If God does not exist, then objective right and wrong do not exist, right? Right? Well, we know that objective right and wrong exists. Things like rape are absolutely wrong. Even though some cultures have practiced that, they're still, we know it in our heart, wrong. Uh, a torturing babies, something horrendous is that, we know deep down that that is wrong. Right, church? You don't need to take a class or hear an argument or evidence for that. We just know that it is. So if objective right and wrong exists, then that means that God exists. Here's a statement I wrote down so that I wouldn't forget it. The fact that you're arguing, this is for the atheist, against God's existence on moral grounds is evidence that objective morality exists and you're arguing for God instead of against Him. So number four, what the atheist must also prove is that the world would be a better place without free choice or natural law. Now, some people say, Jeff, couldn't God have created the world in such a way that He could create us like not as robots, but then the minute that we choose to do something wrong, God like steps in like a parent and he like stops our wrong action. Well, if that was the case, number one, we would still be robots, right? Things like, for example, love. What is love? Love is you taking a chance to invest and put yourself out there for someone. Think uh, so some of you firefighters and police officers, courage, which is what you guys exhibit every time you go on duty, courage to run to the gunfire when everybody else is heading where oh, away. Y'all ever see that, like with Boston? I just wanted to like drive up there and give a high five, give a hug to those policemen. And even even some, even some of the reporters like throwing their cameras on their back. Man, that's huge money for a reporter to get that kind of footage. They're like, forget that mess. Throw the camera on the back. I'm helping somebody who's bleeding out. Heroism and courage and honor. But if there's no possibility for you to choose against that and take the road to cowardice, then courage could not exist. Love could not exist. If God created a world in which we were always determined to do every little thing right and we had no ability to follow God or not, then that means things such as loyalty would not even exist. Do you realize that when you are loyal to someone, you're choosing against being disloyal, which sometimes can be a pretty appetizing option. As an atheist, you've got to prove that a world with no choice would be better than one with it. And even see, so he's saying to Jeff, hold on, what if God could have created it? We still have that choice and we make those choices, but, but he kind of comes in and he takes care of it. That means that, go with me on this, our hearts would become so dark because even though, let's say we developed hatred in our heart towards someone else, we wanted to act to harm them or to speak a bad word about them, that means that we knew that daddy God would step into the equation and fix it anyway. That means that our hearts have become so evil and so dark. It means that we would have sin in here, but know that we'd never be able to carry it out. And as the generations grew, our hatred of God and other people would get to a level that would be absolutely insane. And one other uh, illustration I would use here is, uh, guys, you know, we we need to be safe with softball. But maybe one of you guys uh, gets a bruise on your leg, maybe. And Paul, y'all need to pray for Paul. He's a pitcher. And and, and if you've never pitched in in men's softball, you know that a softball can come at you really fast. But I think, Paul, you've had all your ninja classes. He's good to go. So he's a ninja. Pray for him that he can avoid balls and, and catch them and whatnot. But let's say that one of you guys gets an injury and you've got a bruise. You go into the doctor. The bruise is on your calf. And he says, you've got a deep bruise. We can fix that bruise. You will never have to worry about that bad boy again. Bring in the saw. You say, come again. And he says, we'll just amputate that sucker right here and now. You won't have to worry about that at all. That is the logic of some atheists who say if God would simply eradicate the ability of humans to obey God or disobey God, then thereby we would have suffering and evil taken care of. It would simply create a bigger problem. And then our last point. You say, Jeff... How should I approach the suffering and evil that I encounter in my life? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is in your notes, you need to be encouraged at what God has done and what He will do, and you should have faith in that. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's a good verse. Jesus came to do demolition and then construct His kingdom. Also, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for this... Think about the suffering that you may be experiencing, believer, and that you will experience. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The great Christian songwriter J.J. Heller, she's got some great music. There's a song that says, even when I can't trace your hand, I can still trust your heart. And if you're an unbeliever, how should you approach the suffering that you've encountered in your life? You need to look back at history, at how God has logically fulfilled His prophecies through His Son, and you need to place your faith right now in Jesus Christ. And by the way, let me, let me just say this. The people who have read the stuff, they've read the big books, do y'all realize that on the university level, that the logical... Y'all need to get excited about this, especially if you went to school back in the 60s and 70s. Do y'all realize on an academic level, Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, cream of the cream of the crop, like ivy beyond ivy. Do y'all realize that academically, the logical problem of evil is dead? you realize that? That it has been so shown to be a fallacy... That even atheists say that there is no logical problem with the existence of evil along with the existence of God because Christian philosophers have shown that God could always have reasons for allowing evil that we may not know about. And that sounds basically like what we hear in church that we should have faith. Faith in what He's done and faith that He will solve the problems that we don't see any solution to right now. If you're an unbeliever, your step right now before God is to humble yourself, repent of your sin, and place your faith in Jesus and have your evil, your heart changed for the glory of God.